Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Hi there, welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. My name is John Murphy. I'm the play-by-play voice of the 2-1 Buffalo Bills. 2-1 now after their big win over uh, the Washington football team this past Sunday. Uh, Not a huge opponent, but a 43-21 win where the Bills did virtually everything right. I mean, what can you pick at to say, well, they should have done this, they should have done that. There's nothing, really very little wrong with what the Bills did this past Sunday against Washington. Much of the attention going to Josh Allen for his Great game. He was sensational. I didn't think he was that bad in the first two weeks, especially week two in Miami, a 35 to nothing win in Miami. But Josh was even better right from the start this week. You know, he started out uh, a little slow. The Bills started a little slow with their first couple of plays. And then on a third and long, third and 15 at their own 20-yard line, he threw a strike to Gabriel Davis. 23 yards, got the first down, led to their first touchdown, and there was no looking back after that. Josh Allen, 32 of 43 for 358 yards, four touchdowns. He ran for a touchdown. He did virtually everything right in the big win over Washington this past Sunday. But he got a lot of help, and i got to point out a couple of areas where I think he got help. First, his offensive line. They were sensational, right? No sacks allowed. They got the running game going, almost uh, uh, the right mix of passes to runs, about 55% passing compared to 45% runs. It's just about the right kind of mix I think the Bills should have moving forward. Certainly they're a passing team, but uh, they got to have a semblance of a running game. They had more than a semblance against Washington. The offensive line was great. At right tackle, Darrell Williams was, was just sensational. He did a great job against Washington's Feared pass rusher, Chase Young, the guy who was defensive rookie of the year a year ago. Williams shut him down. He did nothing. The rest of the offensive line did well. Deion Dawkins on the left side at tackle did a great job as well. I think the offensive line was one of the standouts, one of the stars of the victory over Washington, and they deserve some credit. There are plenty of uh, heroes from the game. Obviously, the receiving core, Dawson Knox, had a good game. The running backs did well. You really got to throw a lot to uh, the offensive coordinator, too. Brian Dable called a near-perfect game for the offense. He just had the right mix. You know, as I talked about a minute ago, the mix of passes to runs was was great. Uh, a couple of trick plays, nothing too outlandish. I thought Brian Dable called his best game in a couple of years as the offensive coordinator, and didn't just do it on Sunday. They worked hard all week to get that offense going the way they did the defense again was great now what did they do they gave up um one touchdown a long one a 73 yard run by gibson the running back for washington a screen pass all right that was a problem that was a breakdown no question about that a couple of plays later kind of a kickoff that hit the wind went short washington recovered they wound up with a tyler heineke uh, touchdown run after that so those were two of their touchdowns their third and final touchdown came in garbage time when the issue had been settled. I think the Buffalo defense is far and away the biggest surprise of the season, uh, playing much better than they did a year ago. A lot of credit goes to Leslie Frazier for getting that group ready to play, but the defense has been outstanding. So all in all, an all-round good team uh, win. They've got another winnable opponent coming up with the Houston Texans coming to town. They should win that. Nothing's guaranteed, of course, but they should win that one. And then they move on to the big one at Kansas City coming up on uh, a Monday night in October, Monday night, October 10th. That should be a showdown of the two combatants 
from last year's AFC Championship game. Got a good show this week on the podcast. We're going to talk to one of the all-time Buffalo greats, the leading tackler in Bill's history. The result of his 12 years in a Bills uniform, Daryl Talley, played on the four Super Bowl teams, never missed a game during his 12 years with the Buffalo Bills. Daryl Talley remains a fan favorite. He's going to get his number retired at his college, West Virginia University, coming up this weekend. We'll talk with Daryl about that. We're going to talk with him about the Buffalo Bills of, of years gone by, his Super Bowl era, and about this year's Bills. He's been to both home games, wants to come to several more. Daryl Talley's going to join us this week on the podcast. Also, going to talk some beer with Scott Neff. He is executive operating uh, partner of Fado Irish Pubs. There's about eight or nine of them all over the United States. None in the Buffalo area, but they're throughout eastern United States. I've been to one in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Buckhead section of Atlanta, Georgia. They've got a great uh, a great concept and a great way to implement that concept. We'll talk with Scott Neff about that coming up today as well. So stick around. We've got a good uh, podcast coming up for you. It's the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. And we started out with Daryl Talley in just a moment. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Guest on our podcast this week, played for the Buffalo Bills for a dozen years, 12 years with the Bills, 14 in the National Football League. He is Daryl Talley, the longtime Bills linebacker, one of the most popular players in Buffalo Bills history. Daryl, we appreciate you coming on. We got to mention this weekend, this Saturday, your number is being retired at your alma mater, West Virginia University. Congratulations on that. Well, thank you. That's a tremendous honor. I mean, that, I've only had four guys. Well, I'm the fourth guy to have his number retired there. Yeah, one of them is uh, the great uh, longtime linebacker Sam Huff, who went on to star in the NFL. You know that name, obviously, from your time in the Mountaineers, right? Yes, I did. I said I, I've only got two people that I would say would be ahead of me at university. That's the logo, Jerry West and yeah. Sam Huff. Did you ever meet Jerry West? Uh, no, I didn't. Huh. He's, he's another icon. You're right about that. What um, what was it that brought a kid from Cleveland yourself to uh, uh, Morgantown, West Virginia? What got you there way back when? Well, first of all, I wasn't very highly recruited out of high school. Um, I was one of the most unusual kids you probably see. I probably Everybody else has at least played 10 to 20 varsity football games. I only played 10. Um I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't highly recruited out of high school. I broke my hand my junior year. I broke my ankle my senior year, so I only played three games against the uh, fourth, fifth, and third, fourth, third and fourth, and sixth team in the state of Ohio. And somebody, and a coach seen me playing. A guy by the name of Gary Stevenson seen me playing, and he came over and he asked me, he said, son, where have you been all year? <laughs> I told him, I said, uh, I, had a, I had a broke ankle. He says, you run like that and you got a broke ankle? I said, yes. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I had an offer from West Virginia, Syracuse, and Iowa, and Iowa State. That's pretty good. I, Why did you choose West Virginia? Well, Iowa and Iowa State, I thought, were too far away from home because I, like, um, you know, I like my mom and my dad, so I didn't want to be that far away from them. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go to Syracuse. That was highly – I was recruited by them. And – I really almost went to Syracuse instead of WVU, but I turned around and went to WVU. And never looked back, right? You probably never regretted it considering all the success you had at West Virginia, huh? No, I didn't. Um, when I got there, trust me, it, it wasn't all roses when I first got there. What was going on? Why not? Uh, because West Virginia, had they were a big school, but they hadn't really won in a long time. 
And I think the 79 class, the wait a minute, I'll go back. The 77, 78, and 79 classes were the three classes that actually put the university on the map. Uh, because without those class, and we had a bunch of guys from Cleveland that were there in that area in Ohio, so that I knew. So I was like, okay, I can go to school here. I I can, I got a couple guys from my area that understand the way I think and how I like to play football. You know, to this day, still, I think uh, the crowd, the the intensity of that atmosphere in Morgantown. Uh, for the Mountaineers, it's kind of underrated, isn't it? People don't understand how much that football program means to that area. Oh, they don't. I mean, you, you'll you get an idea of it once you hit the field, but until then, a lot of folks don't have any idea what kind of enthusiasm comes out of that place. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate. I grew up in a rabbit town, which is Cleveland, where yeah. the fans are really rabbit. I, I go to school at West Virginia University, where they are extremely rabid. They even go as far as burning couches when they like uh, <laughs> like things, you know. So, um, and then I came to Buffalo, which is much of the same type of crowd. Yeah. And me being the kind of guy that's from the city that enjoys talking to people and dealing with them, I like actually just took off there and thrived. Yeah. When you came to Buffalo, though, what, 83, 84? Um, 83. 83. I mean, the fans were interested, but you came to some bad teams, and it was kind of a hard time for the Buffalo Bills when you got here, right? Oh, yeah. It, it was not all roses when yeah. I got there because the first year we got there in 83, uh, Jim went to the USFL, and I came, Tony yeah. Hunter came. Um, the first year, we had a chance to make the playoffs, um, but we lost the last game. And then from that point forward, it went downhill quickly. Two and 14, four and 12, four and 12. And it was so bad that, you know, we had fans cracking jokes on you in the line at um, Tops or Wegmans, excuse me. Yeah. Well, two and 14 for a couple of years, it had to be difficult to keep your head up and keep going when the team was going so bad back then, huh? No, not for me, because I came out to do one thing. I came out to prove to people that I could play the game of football and that I could make a difference in it. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to prove to everybody that no matter where I started, I was going to end up somewhere near the top of the heap. Um, I just wanted to win. So you get here and you play those rough years and Kelly is drafted, doesn't show up till 86. Bruce Smith was drafted, the first rounder, and he showed up right away. But when did you get the sense that things might turn around a little bit? Was there one of those two guys' arrival that made you think that, hey, we got something going on here? No, actually, I think it was after our 86 season, 87 season, 87 season when we played our last game in um, Philly. Yeah. I think it was 1987. Um, I sat there and I looked at Cornelius because he came in as a rookie that year. Shane was a rookie that year, I think. And I said, you know what? I looked at him and I told him in, in the Philadelphia locker room, I said, I think we could be really good if they leave us alone and leave us together because we got a lot of speed and we got a lot of guys that are hungry and want to hit people. And I think that was the beginning. After that game, I realized it then. That's when I realized that in 88, we came out and we started blistering people. People didn't know what was hitting them, where they were getting hit from. Yeah, 88 was a AFC East championship year. Um, 
I remember that game. Cornelius had a big game that year in Philadelphia, right? In 87, yes. didn't Yeah, a yes. huge game. He kind of burst out. He came in midseason, and, and you and he were like perfect bookends to that linebacking core, huh? Yes, we were. And, you know, it actually it turned out to be really good because we became very good friends about it, and we taught each other different things. How did you uh, – how were you alike? I mean, what did you do similarly, and what, how were you different from Cornelius Bennett? How was he different from you? Um, well, where we were similar was both of us could rush the pass. Both of us could cover running backs. Um, we had a pretty good idea of how to play zone football. And we wanted to do one thing. We wanted to hit people. So how we were similar, we were similar in so many other ways that it was pathetic. We liked, we liked to dress in nice clothes. Uh, he had a good first step. My first step wasn't that bad. That was the first thing I noticed about him when I watched him play. Well, when he came to Buffalo, I looked, I watched him come off the ball, and I went, damn, we got a quick first step. <laughs> hmm. Now I got somebody to compete with. So, yeah, I had him there to compete with, and I, I actually would like to thank Bill Coley for bringing Cornelius there because that, that opened my eyes, and I looked over and I said, oh, okay, so I ain't the only one that can do this. He can do this too. Yeah. And it was, it was really fun. I mean – to have somebody on the other side of you that's just as fast or faster than you, big as you, as big as you are, and can do the same types of things. Yeah. You anytime you can find somebody that you think is a clone of yourself, except for maybe a little faster version of you. Right. And he, you gotta love that. You know, people think back to those Super Bowl bills, and obviously attention goes to the offense and the K gun offense. It, it, people don't appreciate how good your defense was with Bruce Smith and and Cornelius and yourself and in pretty good uh, corners. That was an outstanding defense you played on there too, right? Well, yeah, it was a very good defense. And what they don't realize is that, you know, back then we were really worried about giveaways and takeaways. We took the ball away actually better than any a lot of the teams in the league. We were very adept at taking the ball away from people. I mean – Thurman used to call us the bend but don't break defense. <laughs> we bend, 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 then take the ball away from you. So, but that was what we were trying to do: get the ball back to our offense. Because I had a saying: once you got that cash register running, do not stop the cash register from running. <laughs> Let that cash register run. I don't. I care less if Jim threw two interceptions. I'd be mad, but I tell him, look, forget it. You just got to blow it out of your mind. We'll go get it back. And our center, Ken Hall, used to always tell me when we'd be going off the feet, I'd be coming on, he'd be going off. He'd say, get me the ball back, Wacker. I said, okay, Chuck, I'll get it back. <laughs> what did he call you, Wacker? Like, he called you yeah. Wacker, like Tally Wacker? Yeah. <laughs> what You talk about turnovers. One big play, one big moment that I think uh, was one of my favorite moments of your career, uh, November 1990, a game at Cleveland, your hometown. I think it was Monday Night Football. <laughs> And the, the Bills were rolling the Browns. They weren't very good, but you finished the scoring as you picked off a pass and went to the end zone. How, do you remember that play? And what did that feel like? Oh, that felt really good because actually I was thinking to myself, do they really think I'm stupid? They tried the same play, the play before they had ran it with Ozzie Newsom. It was slot and the tight end was on the backside and I knew where he was going. And it was Ozzie Newsom the first time they ran it. Then they just turned and flipped the play over and tried to run it again the other way and they threw it to my brother. I picked it off and ran, what, 40 yards or 60 yards yeah. for the touchdown. I uh, watched my brother get depleted. I, yeah, that was fun. The white <laughs> drain hit my brother. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> to go to Cleveland and play that well and win, yes, that was huge. Who do you think 
were not just the Bills, but for you personally, who are your biggest rivalries against? What team? What players? Who did you like playing against? Who did you like beating back then, Daryl? I love playing against Miami because I've been playing against Danny forever. He and I started playing against each other in 1979. And I think I played against him just about every year in my career except for one. And, and the Bills? <laughs> so from 79? Yeah. From 79 until present day, yeah. That was that's the only person that I really enjoyed playing because playing against him, you got you got a guy over here with a blower now. Playing against him, I honestly had a, a really good time because it was he's a PA guy and I was Ohio. So it's Ohio, Pennsylvania, all over. He uh, well, you must have enjoyed it mostly because the Bills usually won when they played Miami back then, huh? We won when we played him back then, but the thing was, he had beaten the snot out of me all my years in college. <laughs> so every year in college, I had to play Pitt four times. I played him four times, and we never beat him. Danny has always managed to beat me in, in college, so I was like, you know what? Now I got some more boys and get a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, and I think we got a chance to beat you. Yeah. And we didn't lose too many to him. I would imagine that the AFC championship win uh, in Miami with that in mind, it probably was one of the most satisfying wins of your whole career. It was on the road, obviously, but still to beat Miami for a chance to go to the Super Bowl, they had to feel pretty good. huh? It felt great. I mean, especially during that game, because I, I never will forget it. Danny tried to beat me on an out route, throwing the ball to the back. I knocked the ball down. I told my aunt, you're not getting that one today. <laughs> <laughs> And the rest of the day, we just sort of tortured him. I mean, we hit him from everywhere. You could hit him from that was legal back then. You could hit the quarterback, whereas now you can't. We had a lot of fun beating up on each other and trying to figure out how how could he maneuver me. And back then they had a guy by the name of Jim Jensen that they used to try and beat us with. as a He was a quarterback that they moved to tight end or H guy. And Jensen ran pretty good routes. So what I would do is I'd get my hands on him, and I would not let him go. I'd beat him. I beat up on him. And if you beat up on him, he couldn't get off the line. Yeah. But if you let him off the line, you had to run with him. Yeah. Hey, Daryl, you mentioned the Super Bowls. Of the four Super Bowl appearances, which game do you think the Bills had the best chance to win? I mean, you came close against the Giants. Was that the one that you had the best chance going in that you thought, okay, we can get this one? I thought we had a chance against the the Giants. That one I thought we had a chance to win. And the one game, the Super Bowl in Atlanta, I thought we had a chance to win. That was against uh, Dallas, right? Against Dallas. Because we, we, played, we played very, very well. And then all of a sudden it seemed like in the third quarter, the end of the third quarter, the bottom fell out. I mean, because had we kept going after halftime or before halftime, I don't think it would have been close, but we had to stop for halftime. Yeah. yeah. Daryl, I want to ask you, you never missed a game in 12 years playing for the Buffalo Bills, right? You never missed a game. No. You must have been hurt. You must have been sore. You must have had injuries, and yet you kept on yeah. playing. Yeah, you could, be, you could be sore. There's a difference between hurt and injured and sore. You're going to be sore if you played the game very hard. You're going to be sore. So that's got to be a given that you're going to get nicked. 
Um, it, and the rest of it is just mind over matter. I refuse to be hurt because I had learned a long time ago. If you lay, if it's a baseball analogy, if you lay a glove on the ground, somebody else can pick your glove up and start to play with it. And you'll never get a chance to play again. So my idea was not to lay my glove on the ground. So someone else could come pick it up and go play in my position and do my things. Because if I do that, then I never, I have a chance of never playing again because who knows how good that guy is going to be as, as Drew Bledsoe. Yeah, that's right. But you even thought that, I mean, you were going to pro bowls and, and you're on a, you know, a top ranked defense. You even thought somebody's going to walk in and take your job. Oh, you never thought I used to tell them all the time. I used to tell them where I say, look, here's what you got to guys. Is we got to remember Shane and Cornelius's line to take their job starts around the corner. The job, the job to take my job, the line starts right here to crack of my butt. So every time I bend over, I'm going to fart so you can hear it and smell it. And you let me know how that is because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you right back there. I'm not letting you in front of me. You're going to always stay behind me. Uh, that was the way I played. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I ran into you this past weekend. I know you, you do make it up here a lot. And over the years, you've stayed in touch with the Buffalo Bills. How tough was it to watch that te- this team, Bills, go 17 years without a playoff spot? They have so much trouble. They're, they're in good shape now. But how tough was it to be a former Bill and, and seeing them hit the skids like that for 17 years? That was tough. I mean, because we had built, we had built a great organization and we had left the city in good hands. They had a great football team, a great nucleus. And for them to dismantle it the way it was dismantled, I, I, I felt bad. I felt badly for the people in the city of Buffalo because we had a, a pretty good nucleus. And even when I left, there was still that nucleus there of guys. And then people started picking them off. And they didn't draft the same type of players as they had drafted in the prior years. And now this year's team and, and the last couple of years, you've been here both home games so far. What do you think of the 2021 Buffalo Bills, Daryl? I love what I see. I mean, from what I can see, they're playing together as a team, which is one thing that I really, really like about what they do. And, you know, the first game was a little rocky. Um, second game was all right. They got they got the get their mojo back the second game. And the third game, Josh Allen returned to form which is where he, had, where he will remain, I think. Um, I think they play very well. They play hard. They run to the football. That's the other thing. I love what they do. They all run to the ball, no matter what. Um, I think this team has a lot of upside to it, a lot of upside. You know, I, like your team, there's so much attention focused on the, the Bills' offense now—they're pretty—they're a really good defensive team. I mean, they shut out Miami. They they limited uh, Washington to just three kind of meaningless touchdowns the other day. Uh, this defense is really good, and I don't want you to compare it to any of your defenses, but they're they're pretty good well, right now, aren't they? Oh, there's no question about it. They, they everybody's coming to the party. Everybody's <laughs> got a hat. They they're not coming here with a hat in hand. They're coming in to hit you. And that's one thing that I like about them. I mean, they play. They're playing very, very well. They're starting to actually impose their will on people, and that's a good thing. Anytime you can take a defense and impose your will on an offense, that's doing something. You've been to both home games so far. What do you think of the the atmosphere at the Highmark Stadium, the former Rich Stadium? How do you you think it feels like? I like it. 
I like it. It, it still feels the same. Uh, like I told him, I said, wait until the guys that were rookies last year and this year actually get the feel of the fans in that stadium and how it, how it can reverberate through your body. I mean, some days you, you'll go out there and you could be dead tired and you, could, you just plug right into the fans and you'll be ready to go. You know, um, it could be, and I wonder if you agree with this, we could be on, on the cusp or maybe right in the middle of a new era of great Bills, Buffalo Bills football, similar to when you played, right? You played in maybe the best era of Bills football in the early 90s. We could be right back there again, huh? Oh, yeah, I, I see that. You, you have all of the tools to do that. I mean, everything's in place right now if you really look at it. I mean, you, you have a good defense, you play special teams hard, and you got a great offense. So right now, yeah. You, I, to be honest with you, I may think Sanders might be the missing link that you guys didn't have on the offensive side of the ball. Because now all of a sudden, there's no more playing traps and stuff like that on digs all the time and just using the slide guys. Now you got somebody on the other side that really can take the top off the defense. Daryl, what are you up to these days? How do you stay busy besides going into the, you know, having your number retired at West Virginia? How do you stay busy these days? <laughs> um, right now, I'm, I'm working with the um, NFL and the NFL's legends community. Um, and other than that, walking around every day and trying to stay healthy and stay upright. It's <laughs> a good one. Are you, um, are you planning on coming back to any more uh, games in Buffalo, home games for the Bills? I would love to. Um, I just don't know how the schedule will work out, but I would love to come back to as many as I can because I enjoy going to the game and I enjoy watching them play. They're a fun team to watch. Daryl, it's great to talk to you and catch up with you. Thank you very much. All right, not a problem, Mark. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. Time to talk some beer on our Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff podcast. And we're talking with a guy who is in charge of a company that pours a lot of beer, a lot of uh, craft beer, in fact. He is the uh, executive operating officer for uh, Fado Irish Pubs around the U.S. Scott Neff is our guest. Scott, you're based in Columbus, Ohio, correct? Yes, yeah, that's right. Columbus is home, and I'm, uh, I'm an original Buckeye, so I still like being here. <laughs> that's great. Tell me about Fado Irish Pubs. Uh, by my count, eight, or is there nine locations uh, all over the United States, huh? Yeah, so we've got a couple of different brands that are under the same umbrella, the Fado Pubs brand. Uh, and Fado Irish Pub was our original brand. We also have Tagine. Uh, which we've got one in Stanford, Connecticut. It's a great pub that's been there for 20-plus years. And then we have our newest concept called Fido Pub and Kitchen, a little bit more restaurant-like, more of a European cafe rather than an Irish pub. So Fido Pub and Kitchen in Dublin, Ohio. Did I see this correct on your website, Scott? You have a location in, in the Middle East, in United Arab Emirates. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So that one's never been under my purview at all, okay. and it's it's a licensing deal. And it's a very unique place, which I've heard a lot of stories about. But unfortunately, I've never experienced any of those myself. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's testimony of uh, just like the, the cachet that being an Irish pub has. How would you describe Fado and what are you going for at these locations? Sure, sure. So the original Fado plan, uh, Fado, by the way, means uh, long ago in Gaelic. So if yeah. I were telling you a story, I'd say Fado, Fado, meaning right. long, long ago. And we should let and our listeners know that it's spelled F-A-D-O. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, it, it's spelled simply, but it's hard 
to kind of pronounce. A lot of people kind of get it wrong. You don't pronounce the A and the accents on the O. So, okay. yeah. So Fado, you know, is telling the story of kind of Irish pub history. And we do that a lot in our design and in our product. Um, in our design, we'll take pubs back to years ago, even sections that are like a Gaelic section. Um, and up to today, like Victorian designs like you would see in Dublin, Ireland today. What is the allure of Irish pubs, do you think? What, what are you guys trying to capitalize on? Yeah, so, you know, there are a lot of us, and I would assume you might be one of those folks that uh, have a little bit of Irish heritage. Yes. And, you know, I'm proud of that, you know. Um, I, I talk about it all the time. There's Little Italy's, you know, and, and Greek festivals and that all over America, but there's nothing like St. Patrick's Day where a lot of us either celebrate our Irish heritage or those of our friends and relatives, you know. So, you know, part of it is kind of evoking that old nostalgic kind of feel, but then bringing people up to today's, you know, interpretation of what that is. And, uh, you know, Sullivan's is actually a really good brand to kind of speak to that because it's new and yet it still has that nostalgia around it. So it's, it's kind of a cool connection and part of my, part of my being for, uh, for you guys. You know, um, I read this line on the website, a tagline, I guess, as kind of a sound line you call Fado an Irish pub for the 21st century. Can you talk about that and what you, you got in mind there? Yeah. So we, we kind of, we want to say it's not your dad's Irish pub, right? Like, yeah, we sure for the best Guinness that you can find anywhere. And, and we're very consistent with that and we're all about it, but we, we don't want it to just be, you know, diddly I Irish music every day, <laughs> all day. And, uh, you know, we, we love the chieftains and all that. They're great. But like, you know, when music evolved into U2 and then some of the great music that's coming out of Ireland today, we'd rather have people kind of see that approach, you know, and feel that it's up to date and still fun, but it's still good for your grandpa. There are Fado locations in Washington, Philadelphia, Columbus, Ohio, where you are, Chicago, Annapolis, Maryland. Um, how did you choose these locations? What uh, was the assessment that went into deciding where the photos should go? And, you know, I, I wasn't part of some of those decisions. They were mm -hmm. before my time. Um, but, uh, you know, really, you know, the idea for a while was getting in some really cool, you know, growth, um, you know, quarters, like nice developmental quarters, like the DC location was over 20 years near, uh, you know, where Georgetown plays and the Caps and, you know, Wizards and all that. So, you know, those kind of environments were, were good for us. And we usually felt like if the area was busy, we got more than our share. But as time has evolved, you know, we, we really like some of the suburban locations a little bit better. Dublin is in a, a development called Bridge Park in uh, central Ohio that's really cool. You know, it's much more suburban and fun and you know, a little bit of an entertainment district, but a little, little away from what we would have normally done in the past. I've been to one Fado, the one in uh, outside Atlanta, Buckhead area, seems to fit right into that neighborhood, right? It looks like it's almost an important part of that neighborhood in, in the Atlanta area. Yeah, so, you know, part of our, you know, key to success is becoming part of the neighborhood. You know, we, we like to get involved in charities. There's a charity called St. Baldrick's that we've done in almost all of our pubs in extremely successful and it it gets connected with saint patrick's day but it's shaving heads to benefit kids with cancer um you know and, and a lot of that kind of community involvement helps us 
you know, do what we're really trying to achieve. It's, it's partly about the customer, but it's partly about our management and staff and getting those guys really involved in the community and becoming part of us. It's part of our claim to fame for sure. He's got Irish pubs, obviously attract Irish Americans like myself, but, um, how much of that is in the Fado concept? I mean, do you, you got to get more than just Irish uh, p- people of Irish ancestry, right? How do you uh, how do you identify with them, and how do you encourage them to to uh, test out a Fado? For sure. So one of the things that we feel that we're very good about is events, and a lot of times we get you know birthday, after work, you know graduation, retirement parties, those kind of things. We're very good about that. So a lot of times it's some of our core people that bring in their own group. I just had uh, a guy that's an Irish guy uh, in my pub in Columbus, Ohio, uh, just to his retirement party there. And there were 50 guys there. And it was partly because of that connection, you know, with us that they chose us for that. And that's that's part of the fun of it. You know, the other thing, though, that you brought up, the Irish um, connection, our new evolution, you know, and, and definitely the Fido Pub and Kitchen brand is much more female friendly. And uh the food has gone that way, an extensive wine list that you wouldn't normally find in a traditional Irish pub. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fun to do. It's fun to kind of take a different approach and, you know, hit a different target. The food has to develop it, right? Uh, develop. I mean, I've, I've been told actually by my parents many years ago that uh, there's nothing special about Irish food, but that's not the case. And, and you, you kind of branch out at the Fado Irish pubs, right? So one of the things that I would say to a lot of the people that come to us for traditional fare, such as shepherd's pie, fish and chips, and that sort of thing is, yeah, those things are good. But if you go to Dublin, Ireland today, that's not what you see. You get a little bit of that. Well, you'll see almost every menu has lasagna. You know, there's, yes, there's chip shops, but there's still, you know, Mediterranean cafes everywhere in Dublin, Ireland now. And they're branching out. It's much more you know, influenced by all over Europe and and even Asia now. So we feel that we want to still tell that story. And part of telling that story is through our food and beverage. And we've definitely had an evolution. It's been fun to do. One of the things also I noticed on the websites, Fado Irish pubs are interested in in, in attracting a crowd that's watching sports, in particular uh, soccer and maybe international sports, right? Yeah, so really, we're kind of famous for that. We um, we often partner with local MLS teams in, say, Atlanta, Columbus, and that sort of thing. And we've shown a lot of the European Championships, World Cup. In uh, in Columbus, a couple of years ago, we had 4,000 people for an event. <laughs> so that, that pub will hold 200. So you wonder how that happened. Yes. <laughs> put, yeah, you put jumbotrons out back and portable bars and and uh, put a big infrastructure together, and then you have a big party. So we got to uh, see Cristiano Ronaldo uh, equalize with the U.S. a few years ago, and uh, not everybody was cheering for Ronaldo that day. So, (laughs) Scott, you've been at this business for close to 40 years, I guess, and you've written a book about it, right? You're publishing a book called On Stage. What's that about? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I've met a lot of people during uh, during this career, and, you know, a lot of our pro athletes or pro athletes after they've given it up, you know, musicians, uh, you know, people like Gene Simmons from Kiss huh. and, uh, you know, Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20, and those are some of the stories that I kind of weave into this book, but really the book is for, you know, people that have either worked in the business or considering the business 
or considering it as a means to an end. It's the way that they're funding their education to move on. And every one of the chapters has a lesson learned. Um, part of it, uh, you know, it got, it got finished during our time of closure, you know, and, uh, and then reopening the pubs. And um, so that was when, yeah, we were on stage, but sorry, the show's closed folks, yeah. you know, and so <laughs> kind of talking about how to, uh, how to get some cool lessons from that, you know, and learn some good things, even when bad things are happening. What lessons did you learn from, uh, from COVID? Not that it's actually over yeah, I, yet, but already what lessons well, have you learned? We, I keep calling it the gift that keeps giving, you know, it seems really? like it just doesn't go away, you know, it goes away for a minute <laughs> and then it comes back, you know, yeah. but, uh, basically, you know, the, the number one lesson that I learned was how valuable people are to us. And, you know, we knew it, we knew it long before 2020, that people were our key to success, especially in an experiential place like we have, where we make real connections with people. But, you know, the biggest lesson was, hey, you better take care of these people that you have, you better promote from within, and then you better get them to help you bring in more people. You see signs now everywhere with our competitors just saying, sorry, we're closed today. We just don't have staff to pull it off. And so, you know, that's the next book is like how to really make that happen. My two paragraphs on that are probably going to not be enough. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And all you hear about a lot, especially in the restaurant industry where people are experiencing uh, staffing shortages and obviously, you know, pay them more is one solution. But I also I've been thinking maybe if they treated those those employees better while they were open and flourishing, maybe they'd be more loyal. huh? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because we we totally think that way. We think a lot of our competitors that haven't been able to make it out of this really struggled in the first place. You know, I've got got four people that have worked with me for 20 years that are still working with me now and scores that have worked with me for more than 10 years. And that's, you know, I think it's a testament, not just to my style or our company's style, but to, you know, being able to really communicate with people, getting them to really buy into what we're doing and that's to me, that's the number one key to success and being over, you know, prior years sales. Hey, Scott, you mentioned how you endeavor to make uh, photos an experiential uh, environment for, uh, for the customers. Uh, what do you mean by that? And how do you accomplish that? Yeah. So I, I would tell you one thing that we've done for years are tastings and, and special dinners with vendors. We would have a vendor like Sullivan's come in and somebody speak expertly to the brand and then, you know, have everybody's you know, choose that, but also have the chef match things up. Well, that was a little bit tougher during a pandemic where we weren't even allowed to have, you know, groups meet. So we, we pulled off, we pulled off some of these on zoom and team events. And uh, we even had our chef like cooking from his home kitchen huh. with uh, with a guy from Scotland, you know, representing wow. a scotch for us. You know, we, uh, we love to do that kind of thing. Like to me, it was just one more challenge, you know, one more way to figure out how to keep people connected and, you know, experience. Scott, any plans for expansion of uh, Fado? Will we ever see one here in Buffalo in Western New York? What do you think? Yeah. So, you know, send me your realtor right now. That'd be good. <laughs> like I, I'd love to have a reason to come up and see you guys, you know, Josh Allen's on, uh, on my bucket list to see yeah. live. So yeah. we might be able to pull something off there. We, uh, we definitely are going to expand, to be honest with you, our, our primary focus now is in the markets where we are, partly because of that people thing that we talked about, sure. 
we really want to provide a lot of opportunity for our guys that are in Philadelphia, Chicago, Columbus, and Atlanta area and uh, give them more growth in that area. But we're, we'll still consider you guys. We're, we're interested. We're curious. <laughs> That's good. Hey, thanks for this, Scott. I enjoyed it. Good luck to you. Yeah, for sure. And I, uh, I look forward to hanging into you guys and good luck to uh, the Bills this year. Thanks. Scott Neff is Executive Operating Partner of Fado Irish Pubs. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. Well, thanks for checking us out on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. My name is John Murphy. We're here just about every week talking about the Bills, the NFL, and, of course, the beer. The beer is our sponsor, Sullivan's Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's uh, Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. We're available over much of the United States, Buffalo and upstate New York, New York City, in uh, Long Island, all over the place in Long Island, in Ohio, in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and in Youngstown, Ohio. We're in Pittsburgh. We're in, um, well, we're down south to Atlanta, Savannah, Georgia, and coming soon to uh, Boston, Massachusetts, and portions of New England. Sullivan's, check us out. Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have comments or questions, shoot us a line, give us an email, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. That's Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff at gmail.com. Thanks to our guests today. Uh, of course, Daryl Talley going to have his number retired at West Virginia University this weekend, one of the all-time great Buffalo Bills, one of the most popular Buffalo Bills. And we thank Daryl Talley for joining us today. And we want to thank our guest, Scott Neff, who is one of the uh, partners in the uh, Fado Irish pub chain all over uh, mostly eastern United States, F-A-D-O, Fado. Thanks to our producer, Pat Felbaugh, edits it all together for us. We'll see you again next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beers.